like to welcome each and every one of you to worship this morning. There's always a lot of things going on in the life of this particular community, and uh, you can see many of them in the bulletin. It's been even a busy weekend already with a confirmation retreat, and I know we had a powerful program yesterday on the ills and uh, horrible human sex trafficking that's going on in our world today. So certainly um, there are many things going on in November. I hope you'll pay attention to all of them. One I want to pray uh, specific attention to and call you to is Wednesday evening in our chapel, which is uh, just to uh, your right, my left, uh, out here in the hall. We will be having a uh, first Wednesday of the month prayer service. It's at 6.30 p.m. over there, and we hope that you'll come. If you're not in a class, if you're not in a choir, if you're not uh, practicing at that time uh, in something, come on up and just be part of uh, a time of prayer. We take very seriously the ministry of intercession, which means simply praying for others here at First United Methodist Church. Now, throughout the congregation, there are prayer cards in your pews. Uh, they have uh, different uh, colors and styles, but uh, they all uh, talk about how we believe in prayer. And I'd like you just to, uh, as we do on the first Sunday of every month, uh, take a minute, write down a huge celebration that you have or a burden that you're carrying on your heart, something that's broken in the, your life or in the life of others. And our prayer team, uh, our pastors, uh, some of our other leaders will pray over these uh, cards, and I know they'll have them at the prayer service on Wednesday. So if you need prayers, I encourage you to take time and do that. And we're just going to be quiet, and if you don't like to write, then let the tongue of your heart or the pen of your heart just go wild as you write out the prayer concerns that you have, the celebrations that you have before God. Let's just take a minute. Uh, let's be quiet before God. Lord our God, whether we speak a word, whether we write a word, if simply it is our word, you know it. You know the concerns we have. You know the joys that make our heart nearly want to burst with happiness. You know everything about us, and so, Lord, we offer our entire lives and the lives of those that we know uh, so very well. Uh, we love you so deeply and richly, Lord, and we ask that you just might uh, walk with us along the way. Consecrate and bless these, these uh, prayers, Lord, as we offer you to them. In the name of the one who taught us first to pray, when his disciples asked, he said, when you, when you pray, say this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of God for us today, and our message today comes from a, a guy uh, who this service knows well, and uh, we are, have invited Simon to come and, and share the message with us. He's already shared it twice this morning, led a praise to him. He's earned his money for the day, but he's not done yet. So give him a warm welcome as he comes to share his message today. Okay, so I'm up here. Um, I'm, I'm here to talk this morning about how a Christian offers their witness through their faith. And um, as you know, I'm usually over there, not over here. And so uh, I hope that any inexperience that I have here doesn't uh, get in the way of anything. Laura has promised to give me a face if I start fidgeting or mumbling or trailing off in my sentences or anything like that. So um, hopefully we'll uh, avoid that. First thing I want to touch on right away uh, is this word faith. We, we use it a lot in the church, um, and it comes up in, in various settings. But uh, I want to touch on a couple here to begin with. Oftentimes, I hear faith used as just a general reference to our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ. That's, uh, you know, normally, oh, oh my, my faith is how I relate to God. This is what I believe about Jesus and what he's done for me. The other way that I hear it used a lot is it's a, as a collection of uh, stances on different issues in the church. Uh, so my faith is that I believe this about this issue in the church or this about a different one. And though these are helpful, um, I don't think that this is what we need to be thinking about when we're, when we're looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. So if we could kind of leave those definitions behind for a second and, and try to re-experience this idea this morning, to would be great. Um, 
the first verse lays it out really well for us. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I have those two words in bold because faith in these terms as confidence and assurance indicates that the author here is is trying to set up faith as something more intangible. It's not a uh, list of beliefs that we agree upon in the church or or anything like that. It's it's a uh, more of a state of a of the heart. It's uh, it's something that's inside of us, something that's intangible. The other cool thing about this passage is that it talks about faith as a response to two limitations we experience as humans: our limitation um, with time. And our limitation with the things we cannot see, those things that are intangible, that we cannot, uh, cannot grasp. Because we know that we do not master time. I cannot go back or into the, into the past and change that the Hawkeyes lost this weekend. Nor can I go into the future and know whether we're going to be bowl eligible or not. So we know that. We have these limitations. It's the same thing with our perception. There are only certain things that we, can, that we can test for ourselves. There are mysteries in our universe that go beyond what we're able to perceive, and there are things that happen that we cannot explain. So faith is a response to these two limitations. And when we're in a circumstance where one or both of these exist, we have an opportunity to demonstrate faith, and in these circumstances, we have the chance to honor God and also to channel His power into the world around us. So this next part of this this passage, um, there's a lot of stories from the Old Testament that they all start off with this by faith clause. Now, in the earlier services, I tried to avoid this, but I'm just not going to. So by faith, Abel was Abel. To bring an offering to God that was pleasing to him. Now, when we look at this, Cain and Abel both brought offerings to God in that story. And they were a little bit different in their content. But the thing that distinguished Abel's offering from Cain's was the state of his heart. The intention that he brought to the offering. So we see that in that passage that He's, that this, the author of Hebrews says, because he brought this, it was credited to him as righteousness. So his faithful action resulted in God placing upon him righteousness. In the second part, Enoch, by faith, Enoch. Does anybody remember this guy at all? He's from early in Genesis. He's one of the, the early descendants of Adam and Eve. And all we know about him was that he pleased God, and he walked with God, and God took him up into heaven and spared him the experience of death. Now, there's nothing in that passage that says that Enoch, you know, had, had something that he did, in specifically that, that merited that, that reaction from God, but we know that he walked with God, he pleased God. There was something inside of Enoch that made that distinction that led God to take him into heaven. Same thing with Noah and Abraham. 
They were placed in a situation where their uh, experience of time or, or their perception was limited. God tells Noah there's going to be a worldwide flood. Now, in Noah's experience, there was no frame of reference for that. He, he couldn't have even imagined that or even known that that was possible from his experience. And even though it was illogical, he went forward in faith, built the ark, and then therefore God filled that action and saved humanity and creation from that disaster and started again. Same thing with, with Abraham. Abraham was given this promise saying that you, you will, I will take you to the promised land and you will have descendants as innumerable as the stars. Abraham knew exactly how old he was and exactly how old his wife was when God told him this. But he acted in faith and God performed that miracle in that action. So the theme of these, these passages, I've said it a couple times, is that they that these characters had a faith-filled action and therefore God filled that action with his power. In Luke 8 we have a similar a similar passage but it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. We have a woman who has been ailing of some sort of internal bleeding and it's been afflicting her for many many years. Jesus and his disciples are walking through this town and it's and there's a huge crowd around them. I'm sure it was pretty cramped and noisy and everybody was trying to have their say. So there wasn't really an opportunity for this woman to directly approach Jesus. But she believed that if she was able just to reach out and touch his cloak, that she would be healed. She did this and was healed. And Jesus has this great reaction to this. Um, he stops, freezes, and, and says, who, who touched me? I felt some power go out of me. Now, when I was a kid, I really liked this part of the story because I was really into superheroes, loved that kind of thing. Every Sunday night, I would you know, put on this little cape, and we had a two-story uh, two house, and I'd jump down every flight of stairs to let the cape fly out behind me right before I went to watch Superman <laughs> and on Sunday nights. And... So this part, when, when Jesus says, well, some power has gone out of me, it was like Jesus' superhero moment. I liked it. But the reason that he stops and says this is not, not for that reason. I think he was just excited because he knew somebody had gotten it. Somebody had, somebody had made that connection between faith and action. He didn't turn around once he had found out who had, who had done it. He didn't turn around to the woman and say, you know, you could have asked. I'm not, a, I'm not a miracle vending machine or anything like that. No, he turned around and said, your faith has made you well. He wanted to make sure that she knew that it wasn't the action. Jesus had not woken up in the morning and infused his cloak with magic before he went out just in case. No, it was, it was her faith in that action. It was the state of her heart as that happened. And so because of that action, God filled it and performed a miracle in her life. These stories are not limited to scripture. When I was in high school, I was a, a camp I spent my summers as a camp counselor 
at a summer camp in central Iowa called Hidden Acres. And in my third summer there, partway through, it'd probably be about the fourth week of that summer, we were having our, our end-of-the-week staff meeting. On Fridays, we would meet after all the campers had left just to kind of go over the week before the counseling staff left for the weekend. And after that meeting, one of the guys on staff, Carl, went up to another one of the counselors whose name was Spencer and took some money out of his wallet and handed it to him. Now, Spencer was kind of weirded out by this. He didn't really know Carl all that well, so he's like, well, what's going on? And all that Carl says was, I think, I think you need to have this. And so they go off for the weekend, and, and when we all reconvened on Sunday for our meeting before the new campers for that week came in, Spencer got up and told this story. You see, he was a, he was a big football player, and um, he was going into his senior year and had already gotten some... Uh, attention from some college scouts. He played on the offensive and defensive line. And his dad was really, really into his, his success in that area and really wanted him to do well. And so uh, he had wanted Spencer to stay at home for the summer, go to a bunch of football camps, develop his skills so he could land a good uh, scholarship offer from a college in his senior year. So when Spencer came to him at the beginning of the summer and said that he wanted to spend, spend it as a camp counselor, his dad was really confused, and, and honestly, he was really upset. But he thought that it would kind of fizzle out, and he'd come back and be able to do his thing. So when Spencer went home that weekend, his dad confronts him and basically says, you're not going back to camp. You're not going anywhere. I'm taking your car. Because, he, and basically, he said... Because Spencer had borrowed some money from his dad to buy this car, and he was paying him back over time, well, basically his dad said, you're going to pay, I mean, I'm not going to let you go anywhere or give you this car until you pay the rest of it. It was basically a ruse to keep him from going back to camp. And so Spencer puts together everything that he had. He emptied his checking account, cashed some savings bonds and everything like that, totaled everything up. He came out short, $14 short, which was the exact amount that Carl had given him on Friday. Now, that's a great story of how God used a simple, faithful action and performed a great work. But what I really want to say through that is that we have opportunities to do these, these types of things all the time. We have the opportunity to demonstrate faith in action. We just often don't see them. The truth is that God is at work in the world all around us, doing miracles, whether we're a part of them or not, all the time. And if we recognize that, and we place ourselves within that, that, that mind frame we, we, we will begin to see that God is putting in opportunities in front of us. We just have to take them. Some of these things might seem minute. I'm sure Carl or Spencer didn't think that $14 was going to be a big deal at all, that it was going to have any kind of impact, but it did because it was done in faith. In the Protestant church, I think sometimes we, we separate too often 
the idea, the ideas of faith and works. Most of the reason that we do this, we have the tendency to do this, is because we emphasize the role of faith in our justification and our salvation. We say that ultimately it matters what I believe, not what I do, as opposed to as um, in reference to that justification, that process. We want to de-emphasize the role of works. We don't want to think that we can in any way earn it. And this is true. Works without faith are, are fruitless. But because of this, I think we sometimes separate these ideas too much. I'm going to give you an analogy. I'm just going to put it out there. It might be a little crazy, but I'm going to do it. Uh, faith and works are like peanut butter and pickles. Most people would say that these two things should be separated, never combined. But I will tell you that when you do it, something pretty cool happens. And if you don't believe me, go home this afternoon, put some peanut butter on a piece of bread, put pickles on it and eat it, and then tell me how it, how it was next week because it's pretty awesome. I discovered that when I was in middle school. Um, but, but in all seriousness, yes, when we combine faith and works together, great things can happen. And it comes down to our heart. What is our intention in these actions? Where, where does our heart lie? Are we doing this in faith or are we doing it for another reason? Pastor, Pastor Keith and Pastor Mike have been talking over the past few weeks about bringing our gifts, our offerings. And just in the same way, if we... Just as if we bring an offering out of obligation, guilt, or any other, any other thing like that, if we do that with our works, we are, and we don't do them out of faith, we are limiting the potential of those actions. We are limiting the, the power of God in our lives. So if we go forward in faith, God will do great things. He promises us this. We have seen it time and time again in the scriptures. But it's not always glamorous. You're not always going to have this crazy story like, uh, you know, like Carl or Spencer or any of these other Old Testament and New Testament stories. By faith, my father gets up every morning before the sun rises. He reads his Bible, he prays, and he goes for a run. It doesn't matter if we're on vacation. It doesn't matter if we've been driving through the night last night or anything. He does it every morning. And me growing up and seeing that, that faithfulness, that consistency, has had a huge influence on my life. And I know that what he does there in that space every morning has huge impact in, every, in everything around him beyond what either him or I could even see. Hebrews 11.13 says this, All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from afar and welcomed them, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. The truth is that we may not see the dividends of our actions. We may not see the result. But I think that is often 
a better scenario. We act in faith, confident that God will use our actions if we do it in the right intentions. Our job is to focus on what's going on in our hearts when we do these things. And, and it's also our job to make sure that we are looking for those opportunities, expectant of what God is doing in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 gives this great picture of, of this idea. This passage compares each of our works to stones that we lay upon, lay upon the foundation of Christ's redemptive work. So everything that we do is added onto this foundation. And, and the passage says that in the end, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit will test these actions. Those stones, those actions that were done in impure intentions or for earthly glory or for any of these other reasons that we've talked about will be burned away. But those things that we do in faith, in the confidence of things that we hope for and things unseen, with a pure heart, those are the things that remain. And those are the things this passage tells us that we receive our, our heavenly rewards for. May our legacy here be that we walked in faith with our eyes fixed upon that which we hope for, convinced of that which we do not yet see. Let us pray. Father, we recognize that you are at work in our world. We pray that as we grow in faith, we would seek you and the opportunities you give us for faithful actions. We ask that you would transform our hearts and that we would live with pure intention. Help us to look at the world in more heavenly terms, understanding that we do not belong here. And when we do act in your name, we pray that you might fill our action with your miraculous power. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, as we come to the last few moments in our worship service, we have some two very special opportunities uh, among us. One, of course, is the celebration of Holy Communion, and the second is uh, the sharing of our gifts with God. We have been talking, Pastor Keith and I, and now Simon, about how a Christian offers their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their witness, and their service to God. And this morning, <clears throat> through something that we do every year, uh, so if you're a guest or visitor here, don't feel uncomfortable. We do this every year. Uh, we are going to uh, demonstratively um, share how we give our gifts to God. Everyone that's part of the church has received a, a, a pledge card that looks a lot like this. And if you didn't receive it, surprisingly, there's some back there in the back if you want to grab one. Um, and we're asked uh, through our prayer cards 
uh, to first, by we sending them out in the mail early, uh, we ask folks to com- you know, for you to contemplate uh, what represents you and, and, and consider your intentions. I mean, we'd all like to give a billion dollars uh, to the church or to, to Christ's kingdom, but we may not have that. So we, we have to consider what our intentions are and what our abilities are. And, and then the reason we send those pledge cards out is that we, we, we have that need, all of us as human beings, to commit significantly in, in ways that are tangible. So we write it down. We write down what our covenant is uh, with God and this congregation. And then in these moments... We desire to consecrate these, to, to bless the contents of, of this piece of paper as a statement of our heart and our faith and ask God's reception of them as an act of our love. Now, our mechanics for this is very simple. As you come forward for communion, we have baskets here that can uh, receive your prayer cards, uh, receive your pledge cards, and, and receive your offering for today, and we encourage you to, to bring them down. I have with me my card uh, that Teresa and I will be placing on the altar at the next service. But if you have yours, uh, why don't you take it out, put the hands of those that are, are sharing it with you. Maybe it's your family, uh, maybe your children, all that. And, and let's pray over these cards. Let us, let us pray to consecrate uh, our pledge of our financial gifts. Lord Jesus, we humbly commit these things to you, these gifts, the fruits of our labors. And we ask, Lord, that they might be consecrated for the use of building up the kingdom of God, and serving uh, men and women that are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our closing moment of our worship service this morning is the holy uh, act of Holy Communion. I'm going to give you the instructions and an invitation, and I'm going to ask Andrew Happ, one of our seminary students, to actually institute the elements today. First time he's done that, so pray along with him. The instructions for communion at our church are very simple. We have two stations down at either end of the aisles. We ask people to come forward through the side aisles, and you'll come at your own leisure and at your own pace. You receive uh, a piece of bread, dip it into the juice, uh, receive that, uh, come forward towards the center if you would, pray as long as you'd like, and then return uh, to your seats. Holy Communion in the United Methodist Church uh, is such that we believe in an open communion table. So if Jesus Christ is yours, uh, you are his, and you are welcome to receive that. Andrew, would you please guide us in this service? Thank you, Mike. Um, Throughout Luke, uh, the ministry of Jesus, his uh, 12 disciples were told numerous times that Jesus was going to die and come back. And uh, time and time again, they were were unsure of what he was meaning and uh, of what Simon was saying. Faith is what they had. On the last night that uh, Jesus gave himself up for us, He took a loaf of bread, gave thanks to you, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood, the new covenant, poured out for you and for the many, the forgiveness of sins. Do this each time you drink in remembrance of me. So please come forward with confidence and assurance of the things that Jesus had done for us and give us a minute for the acolytes and Pastor Keith and I to get ready.